Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and make flavors as. Yay! Bing, 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 bong. <laughs> I just, we just recorded another intro, but I didn't like it because it was too casual. So we needed more hype because I'm the hype guy. I make you the guys, hype. Like, you guys don't know how many times Josh makes us stop recording our intro because he's like i didn't like that i didn't like that sometimes we say naughty words by accident and we're like oh we can't do that we say naughty words by accident (laughs) jesse (laughs) says naughty words i don't even know if it's an accident (laughs) (laughs) um you know we all struggle with sin you know (laughs) (laughs) that was the old you that was yeah that was the the old me now this is the new me <laughs> the new me is Gandalf. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, this what a day! What a day, my friend! It is. Uh, it is definitely the dead of winter here in beautiful, cloudy New Zealand. I don't know yeah, what it's like for you, it's man. Freezing. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Frost all over my car this morning, which I hate. Mm, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. I, 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 ha- I don't have a, a garage. Do you have a garage at your new house? We do, but it only fits my wife's car. And oh. so, yeah, well, <laughs> I should say it only fits one car. So obviously my wife's car is going to go in there, not mine. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called compromise, Jesse. Yes, it's compromise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, my one's one with the frost on it in the mornings, which is annoying. Mm. But, you know, okay, public service announcement, everybody. PSA, don't put hot boiling hot water from the kettle onto your frosted windscreen. Oh, no. Did you crack it? No, 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 no. I used to do with my old car. You remember that? Did you, did you ever see my old station wagon that I used to drive in uh, Australia? Yeah, bro. I remember. Yeah. I remember riding that with you, and Heck you yeah. would purposely speed up over all the speed bumps in that station wagon. It was. <laughs> I, w- I was genuinely concerned for my life when I rode with you in that car. Yep. So yeah, it, for those of you who don't know the story, I used to drive a giant white Ford Falcon station wagon, which everybody used to call the White Whale. Or the white whale, um, and uh, it had it had it 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 lived a long life, you know. It had been a paddock basher for a while. It had been a work car for a while, and eventually, I got the car for free, which was nice. All it had to do was be serviced, which was like a thousand dollars later. But oh. once it was roadworthy, it was all mine, um, and she'll be right. That car was a beast, man. So mm. when I when I eventually had to get rid of it only because i moved over here if i didn't move over here i would have kept it but um Hmm. a lot of things were going wrong with it um and i think (laughs) i I finished it i was so devastated hey no actually most of the things on it weren't my fault most of the damage on it wasn't my fault there was one the front bumper which was the worst looking accident was my fault but that was that's another story for another time. Anyway, that one was my fault. I'll claim that. But all the other damage was pretty much because it was a paddock basher and other people disrespected it. Hence why I got it for free. Yeah. But um, I, I would be genuinely concerned getting a car that was a paddock basher. Like yeah. that's... Paddock basher is like the sort of car that's like you're you're letting it out to pasture, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like I remember like... I remember driving it as a paddock basher and like doing jumps in it. Like, <laughs> I mean, like nothing major, <laughs> but just like seeing if we could get airborne and that kind of thing in the paddock. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, um, 
What is the relevance yeah. to this? I, I have no idea why you're telling this story, by the way. Well, we have to waste 10 minutes somehow. So, oh, okay. yeah. Anyway, the white whale, when I eventually had to give it away before I moved to New Zealand, or I didn't give it away, we did sell it. Believe it or not, somebody bought that. Um, and it had done 450,000 Ks. Holy I was, moly. I just wanted to get it to five. I wanted to get it to five so bad, but it, it never made it. Oh. So, yeah, uh, a lovely um, a lovely Asian couple bought it for, I think, $300. Wow. Mm. Wow, that's a steal, man. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not. It's, <laughs> you ripped them off. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. Like, I, you really, it was just because it had rego left on it. That's really oh, all they okay. were paying for. They were just paying for the rego. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. <laughs> so, yeah. is this somehow related to you pouring boiling hot water on your windshield? Right, that's it. Yeah. So, I used to pour you boiling forgot. hot water. You forgot what you were talking about. You got so caught did. up. Well, once you start remembering the the white whale, it's um, <laughs> you know, emotions just flood in and things okay. get confusing. Okay. But um, no, I used to pour boiling hot water on that windscreen when it would get frosty because yes. that's just what I thought you did. Never cracked, but I only found out while. Well, I think it was when I was living in Melbourne just before I sold it. So I was like, hey, you know, you shouldn't pour boiling hot water on that. It might crack the windscreen. I'm like, huh. <laughs> Huh. So then I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why the windscreen never cracked. Yeah. But that car was an absolute tank. To and be I'm fair. I'm too scared to do it with my little Corolla now. Yeah. You've really downgraded it just in terms of raw size <laughs> and manliness. Size, power. Yeah. It's a great car. It's a newer car. It's a nicer car. But it's definitely like, I don't know. You've gone from the white whale to the white clamshell or whatever no, i don't know it's like the white the white pigeon the white pigeon <laughs> i, I was trying to still stick with a with a fish metaphor oh with a with a fish the yeah. the the white uh oh what's that what's that the yellow whiting the whiting <laughs> it's a whiting i love whiting they're beautiful fish yeah true okay great um it's much more fuel efficient though which i like and i'm yeah and as well when you have a station wagon Here's a, another pro-life tip for anybody in the looking for cars and if they're a part of a church community. If you have a big car, people will always ask you to take their luggage places or to ta- mm-hmm. drive things somewhere. You know, if you have a ute or anything like that, people will always be like, oh, hey, can you just like drive, you know, over to my house and like take all this stuff because we're moving house or can you give us a lift with all of our suitcases to this place? Yep. Yep. It was nice, but I got really over it. So now that I have a Corolla, everyone's like, oh, hey, can you... Oh, never mind. You won't fit anything in that car. I'm like, yep, no, nothing's fitting in here except people. I'll give people a lift and that's it. Yeah. No, that's 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 fair enough. I definitely know that feels because I, about the same time, I, at college, bought a uh, Forester, uh, Subi, ah. Subaru, Subaru Forester, which ended up to being a complete lemon. It was a horrible experience for the worst car experience I've ever had in my life. Um perfectly fine when i bought it and then like two months later everything went wrong i think i ended up spending like four or five thousand dollars on that vehicle in the end in repairs it was disgusting but it was nice for those two months when i had it first um yeah but i yeah i'm the same i i remember it was definitely the uh the transport the what is it pack mule for everybody like the communal pack mule Yep, the amount of airport runs I did. Oh, oh my gosh. goodness! <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Hey. Anyway. Well, we have um we have lots to talk about today, other than cars, believe mm. it or not. 
Um, uh, we love I, cars. We're just big car fans. And <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. You go. To be honest, we've we've hit about the limit of my car knowledge <laughs> just in that conversation. So, which is a shame because I come from a family of like rev heads, and then for me, just did not pass on. You're the artist of the family. It's okay. <laughs> they're all artists as well. That's the worst part. <laughs> they're, oh, so okay. they're, they're, they're they're rev heads and artists, and then you just got you got half of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So today we want to talk about a pretty interesting, uh, well, it's really a bunch of topics. Uh, and we have briefly touched on some stuff like this before, but uh, this is a bit different from, yeah, I guess we talked about proof texting before, but this mm. is a bit of another layer to that whole situation. Mm, it's true. Um, I have been, well, if, you, if you're a Christian, you've probably been part of many small groups in your life and many Bible studies, as have I. Being a pastor, I've started many, I've been a part of many, and I've been noticing a pattern, at least in our faith tradition, where there's sort of like this go-to phrase that we always come back to whenever there's a hard question or there's something difficult that we don't quite know the answer to. Whenever somebody brings up something that we don't know the answer to or it's, it's kind of tricky or difficult, we always end up invariably, it seems, saying, well, what does the Bible say? Mm. And it sounds really good, you know. Sounds like a super spiritual thing to say. It does. And it sounds like, well, whatever your issue is, whatever your problem is, whatever your question is, if we just open up the Bible, we'll be able to find the answer for you and you'll have all your questions answered and it will be all good. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, this 2,000-year-old text will have my exact answer to my 2019 problem. Yeah, In exactly. fact, let's go back further to some of the, like, 6,000-year... Well, I don't know if they're 6,000. How, however old, like, some of the Old Testament books are. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure this will correlate directly to my situation today, easily, well, with well, no context required. Well, if you're, a, if you're a young Earth creationist, then you at least believe that the author of, of, of Genesis would have written it several hundred years probably not several thousand years after it's like the actual date so you could probably date that five thousand years something like that at least yeah i was thinking that and i'm like because i said six i'm like oh i think that's a bit i think that's a bit too old well no five. no there are there are some people who yeah. would definitely date the bible at least to ten thousand years eight to ten thousand years that's acceptable really in some yeah the traditional view the traditional evangelical tr fundamentalist view is about six thousand years because you add up okay. all the genealogies and all that sort of stuff but yeah. there's you, that doesn't take into account all the time jumps in in the bible and the fact that not everything happens in sequence you know, and it's all recorded because, well, it's an ancient document. How in the world could it be, you know, perfectly in sequence? So, mm, true. Anyway, anyway, yep. at we the very least, it's a very old book. Mm. <laughs> it's a very old collection of documents. Um, but to say what does the Bible say presupposes a a lot of things. And so that's what we wanted to talk about today. What are those presuppositions, and is it really a useful phrase? Because I've said it before. Um, I have been around pastors and church people who have said it before. It's like a go-to phrase no matter where you go. Mm. And I, I, I think it's a good, it's a good place to start, um, but it's not the whole picture. And I think the reason why I, 
I don't want to get into this territory of bashing on people who say this sort of stuff because, well, it's easy and it's also, it, but it's not very, it's not very constructive. Well, the the intention behind it is, I'm I'm going to say it's always good. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, so definitely not. Yeah, it's more just it's more just helping to think through the dialogue and to think through. Well, what are we? What are some other things that we are interpreting when we say that? What are some other things we're saying when we say that? Um, is there a more helpful way we could be putting it, even just for ourselves? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I guess in some situations it is it is helpful. Yeah. Um, well, the the intention is is pure. I think I agree with you because I think behind it is this idea of well. I'm not a I'm not a um, an authority unto myself. Uh, I submit to a higher authority, and that higher authority is this book. Um, and behind this book is ultimately the the ultimate higher authority, which is God. Mm. And that's yeah. good, and that's fine, and that's perfectly acceptable. Um, but then it presupposes when we say, "What does the Bible say?" it presupposes that the Bible is this living thing that's going to tell us the answer in a simple, uh, non-complicated and definitive way. Like, as if I can open up the Bible, read what it says, it'll make perfect sense, and I don't need to ask any further questions because it will have answered my exact situation. And unfortunately... What I've found, personally, is when I study the Bible, coming to it with a bunch of questions, I sometimes get those questions answered, but more often than not, I leave my Bible study with a whole lot of more questions. <laughs> yeah. Classic <laughs> Bible. <laughs> Answers one question, give me 50 more. Thank you. Great. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I don't think that's disrespectful to say, or I don't think that's flippant to say, because... The reality is the Bible was written and I really hate saying things like the Bible was written because yeah to biblia you know the the book the bible is really not a book and I think we've we've talked about this before you know the bible is a collection of documents it's more of a it's it's more of a it's like a library it's a library that's a great way to put it yeah thanks yeah <laughs> it's it's a library of, of of documents it's a library of books and they all are united in a single purpose, as the Bible Project um, guys say. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a cohesive, single, unif- single unifying story that leads to Jesus. Think. Yeah, that leads to Jesus. Um, and I think as well, like maybe, like I can understand if someone says, "Hey, let's let's look at the library of books to see if we can find something that's going to help us in our situation." Mm. Like it makes it makes sense when you put it like that. But it's let's see what the Bible says. Maybe it's a little bit feels like too much to like a blunt object. Getting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. I I totally get what you're meaning, and and that we use it as a blunt object a lot of the time, especially you know when we talk about proof texting. That was a perfect illustration of how we use it. We often mm. say, okay, here's the problem, or here's the question, here's the answer. We use proof texting to answer it, and then we go, okay, satisfied, good, moving on. And yeah, then bada that's bing, all we bada do. boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I, as as any good biblical student will will know, um, there's so much more to the Bible than just bringing out 
um, text out of isolation and proof texting just to prove your point. And in fact, I think it's really, and we talked about this in the, in the proof texting episode, it's really disrespectful, I think, to the Bible, to the, this library of documents that was divinely inspired in different ways and which all lead to Jesus. I think it's really disrespectful to simply treat it like a treatise on doctrine or 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 as a uh, divine answer book to life's hardest questions. I think I think that's really disrespectful and I think it also it also leads people into believing the Bible is something that it isn't. Yeah. I mean, like there definitely are answers to a whole lot of life's questions in the book, obviously, or in the in this library. Of but course. it's not it's not everything. Like I think what is it in in um is it in Timothy? It says like mm. ba- basically paraphrase it's that you'll you'll like you'll find all you need for salvation. Um, yes. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, instruction, reprimand, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like it's yeah, like it, it's definitely helpful, but it's not like you can't you can't just act like it's going to have an application for everything in life. Mm. There are some principles you could probably carry over, but then a lot of the time in our in our problem like in our problems today, they're not like di- directly correlating. Yes. Yes. Um and it, it's interesting it, in the um the the Second Timothy three sixteen is what we're looking for. I'm just looking it up. Um, all Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When Paul was writing this to Timothy, did he think that what he was writing was Scripture? Ah, interesting. Yeah, right. Probably because not. we use this to make a case for the fact that all Scripture is useful in its entirety. It's not like, and this is a classic sort of situation where we go, well, you can't just cherry pick scripture and ignore some parts. You have to take it in its entirety. And we use this verse to um, make that argument. But then you have to ask the question, when Paul was writing this, did he consider what he was writing to be scripture? Did Mm. he consider what he was writing to be useful for teaching, rebuking, did he did he consider that what he was writing was God breathed? Did he make those claims about what he was writing? Um, uh, interesting. And it's impossible to answer that question. Obviously, we don't have Paul right in front of us, but I don't think he really had much of a conception, or any Christians probably had much of a conception that the letters and the epistles and the historical accounts that these early apostles are writing, we're going to end up in this compilation, this library, um, because all they had was the Hebrew Bible. All they had was the what we term the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist in the first century. Mm. And so if you were to ask any of these apostles, even Paul, you know, what do you think is going to happen to these writings? I think they would just say, well, they're here to help the church, to instruct the church, to reprimand, to, you know, to provide sound doctrine, interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. They wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, yeah, one day all of our writings are going to be compiled, put together with the Hebrew Bible, and then we're going to have a whole Bible, and that's going to be what people are going to study. Yeah, it's kind of mind-bending, eh, when you think about it like that. Yeah. And it sounds heretical for me to say that. Like, I I don't, you know, 
I, I, I don't miss that. I don't miss the fact that, well, it, you're, are you minimizing scripture? Are you minimizing the New Testament? And of course, I'm not minimizing the New Testament. I'm not minimizing the fact that it was inspired by God and that God did give these men um, inspiration to be able to speak spiritual wisdom into the church, both in the first century and future. But it's important to consider their context and their place. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul would have been excited, like, if he knew that that was going to happen and that God was using him in that fact. I don't think he would have been like, no, that can't happen. I mean, maybe mm. in his humility, I don't know. But but yeah, I think he would have been excited about the fact that God was going to use his, his writings um, to help people for thousands of years. Like, that's so exciting. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, what we're really saying when we say what does the Bible say isn't enough is we're saying that there is a lot more that we have to consider when we talk about and when we interpret what the Bible says. And again, <laughs> I, I, I find it kind of uncomfortable to even use that language of the Bible as a living sort of book, a cohesive whole that has something to say because the Bible wasn't just birthed out of nothing. It wasn't, you know, Immaculate Conception 2.0. First we had Jesus yeah. and then we had the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, um, I think, there, like, even just even just rephrasing it slightly, there would be a lot more helpful ways. You could say something like that. So, say somebody asks a question and then you could be like, well, let's check out, I mean, let's check out what Paul had to say to this church in this situation. Um you know, because we can probably draw some parallels. Like even something like that, I feel like is a lot more helpful to say than what does the Bible say? If that makes sense. hundred like, percent. To be a little bit more specific about, okay, what part of the Bible and why are you going there? Mm. Um, mm. Like I think is already like leaps and bounds more helpful. And a lot of people who may not see the Bible as their authority, which we'll get into, mm. um, they would probably see it more helpful as well. Because yes. it wouldn't just feel like this random words from this random book. It would feel like, oh, this guy wrote to like a real person writing to real people about a real issue. And all of a sudden that becomes a lot more real to me in my real problems today. Mm. Yes. And I think you, you mentioned it just then. But I think this is one of the other big reasons why um, that language isn't helpful is because, well, maybe 50 years ago, when everybody was a Christian, or maybe not even 50 years ago, maybe let's say 100 years ago, yeah. before um, Darwinism, before you know the all that sort of stuff, most people were Christians, and so to say something like "What does the Bible say?" everybody would go, oh, "Okay, yeah, sure, that's you know that's that sounds you know like I I have a respect for the yeah. church, I have a respect for the authority of Scripture." We don't live in that world anymore. No way. Yeah. And if you say to a secular person, well, you have all these questions about blah, 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 blah. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Most secular people, um, postmoderns, metamoderns, you know, whatever category we're in now, um, they're not going to treat that with any deal of respect or, you know, uh, reverence. That, that that is just not in our in our society anymore and to and to say what does the bible say it is to be like well you're trying to exert an authority over me that i don't even recognize why mm. would i have why would i listen to anything you say when uh, the bible is just a book of fairy tales or the bible is 
you know, just a, it's a nice book with some nice stuff in it, but it's not really, I'm just going to put it up on the shelf with the Quran and, you know, all the other nice spiritual books from other faith traditions. It's not my authority. And that's, that's just the reality for secular people. It's not their authority. So why would we try and force an authority that we recognize onto somebody who has no conception of how we see that authority? So the way we frame, I think we can still place just as much value because this whole thing is really coming down to how much we value the Bible. And obviously, like, we both value it heavily. Like, we find inspiration from it daily and, you know, we base our lives around it's like the teachings found within it and the story found within it. Um, but I think it's the way that we actually use use it, I guess, and the way we frame it, especially to people who don't, like we kind of said already, people who mm. don't find the Bible their authority. But I find like anybody is willing to listen to wisdom. So if you frame it like rather than the Bible says, da-da-da-da-da, you say, this is what a man who, you know, he used to hate Christians, but then he turned around and actually had an incredible conversion experience and then became one of Christianity's leading voices um, and pioneering it across the world. This is what he had to say about this particular topic to this group of people who were going through this issue. Anybody is willing to listen to that. Yeah. Anybody is willing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it actually makes it more powerful for me, at least. Like if somebody just says, well, you know, uh, okay, why don't we just find an example? (laughs) Sure. Um, I think, I think it's also important to note while you're finding an example. Yeah. How we think about inspiration is really important and inspiration is one of those things that we could dedicate an entire... And we've talked a little bit to Ben Reynolds about this, but inspiration and how we think about it is super important because a lot of fundamentalist Christians will ascribe to a uh, divine uh, dictation uh, sort of methodology when it comes to thinking about inspiration. In other words... God literally dictated the words and the writers were just a scribe, essentially conveying the will of God um, on the pages of, uh, of, their, of their manuscripts. And that's not very accurate. There are certain passages where the biblical, a biblical writer will say, well, okay, especially in the case of the prophets, this is what God says, but most of it is well, this is what human beings do, and this is what a human being said. Um, And so whilst it's perfectly acceptable from a Christian point of view to uh, say that Scripture is inspired, absolutely, we believe that Scripture is inspired, but we don't... It's difficult when we downplay the human element whilst overplaying the divine element. I think we get into dangerous territory. Because people just aren't empty vessels waiting for God to fill them and to, uh, you know, work them like a puppet. Um, God is uh, a divine being that allows us to interact and have free will. So an example I was thinking about was, um, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we see... um, the, the, from the from verse one, it's now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all um, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines mm. that he knows something, he does not um, know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, um, he is known by God. That's not what I was actually planning on reading, but it is nice, <laughs> so we should just leave it in. <laughs> uh, but then he goes on to talk about how fooding uh, eating fooding. <laughs> 
<laughs> eating foods um, that are like were a sacrifice to an idol. Um, now it would be easy for um, it would be easy for somebody to say, you know, I'm not sure about this or this. Um, and if somebody said, well, you know, the Bible says in First Corinthians eight ten, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, you will not be encouraged, and his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, like. Or, you know, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother to um, for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when, um, when it is weak. You sin mm. against Christ. Like, it'll be easy to just quote that. Like, that's yeah. what the Bible says. Now, you need to not do whatever it is you're doing because, like... Because that's th- what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I guess that works for some people, but I find for a lot of people... If I was to frame that same thing, if somebody said, hey, I'm not sure if I should be doing this, I would say, hey, well, um, you know, there's been lots of examples of this in the past, so maybe let's have a little wrestle with it. So if we go um, and we look in our Bible and we look at a letter that Paul, um, who was like a real leader to um, to the church at the time, and he wrote this letter to a church in Corinth who were dealing with this issue where they didn't know if they were meant to eat um, of foods that were sacrificed to idols because that was available in the market. It was like a cheaper meat that they could eat. Um, and they didn't know if they should eat it or not because they didn't know if it would be classed as worshipping another idol. So this is what he wrote to them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden yeah. it frames it so much more as like, oh, okay, so that's how he applied it to that situation. Okay. Yeah. I know it doesn't directly correlate to mine, but I understand the principle, the principle that Paul was trying to actually convey to the people at that time. And and there are other situations. uh, I can think of one particular situation where Paul actually says, it doesn't matter to me if I eat food offered to idols. Like for me, it's nothing because what are idols? They're just empty vessels. They're not real. So there, there are other situations where Paul actually contradicts his advice but then he says, you know, if it causes a brother to, to stumble, then don't do it. Um, and what that forces us to do is it forces us to consider context and it forces us to consider culture and it, it forces us to consider the time and place. And a lot of the time, again, as we've kind of harped on over and over again, just <laughs> saying, what does the Bible say? just takes all of that out of the consideration, which I believe is a mistake. Yeah, I think Rob Bell puts it really well when he says, it's reading the Bible, rather than reading it literally, you're reading it literately. Mm. You know, like you're using each piece of literature as the literature is designed to be. Which, I mean, obviously has context far wider than just this, because then it's also, you read Psalms as poems and songs. You read... Um, I don't know. You read you read the stories as stories. You read letters as letters, that sort of thing. You read prophecy as prophecy. All those things you read them as they're meant to be, which yeah. A lot of people. That's when a lot of people get caught up in that too, because you can say, well, what does the Bible say? And then you read them like a poem from the Psalms. And you're like, that's what the Bible says. Obey that, <laughs> you know. But then you read them a direct teaching yeah. from Jesus, and then it's just like that's what the Bible says. Obey that. Are they really equally applicable? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like it's, I don't yeah. know. Like I, it's all divine and all inspired by the Holy Spirit, obviously. But you have to take, I think, real care in what part of the Bible you are reading for each situation. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I used to get really quite, um, 
confused and passionate about figuring out whether the Bible is literal or not. You know, like whether Genesis really happened or, you know, whether the, the flood really happened or if there was an actual Tower of Babylon or any of these, um, especially Old Testament uh, stories. Did those things really happen? And my mind has really been taking a shift over the last, just last few months where those sorts of questions have started to fade into the background because I've started to read the Bible more lit- literally. Is that the correct yeah, word? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Because when you read the Bible in a way that illustrates the big story of the Bible and the 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 meta the meta story the the themes um, and and the way that God is unfolding that in the world at least for me it doesn't matter to me if the creation account happened literally or not it doesn't matter to me if there was an actual literal flood my faith isn't hanging on the um, on on the thread of well, if creation really happened, I'm in. And if it if it didn't actually happen, if it was just a metaphor, well, then my whole worldview is coming crashing down. <laughs> you know, mm. um, because even if creation didn't happen, um, I know from my reading of the Bible, the metaphorical, philosophical, spiritual implications of creation they interweave throughout the entire of the Bible and they tell me a story about who I am as a human being. They tell me a story about who we are collectively as a human race and they have something profound to say um, and they are so applicable uh, even if even if it didn't happen. And again, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm saying if it is a metaphor and if it's just a Jewish folk tale, like some people might say, then my whole basis for faith isn't going to fall down. Yeah. Yeah, or even if it happened, even if it did happen, how do you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be... Yeah. yeah, it's... I don't know. Maybe... I don't, I don't know how to word it, what I'm thinking, but maybe I'll try yeah. again another time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think a lot of people get caught up in it. I think people get caught up in the whole literal seven-day creation thing and that has to be true or the rest of the bible isn't true and i'm like well yeah i don't think that's the case i don't think that's fair because like there's so much proof for jesus i don't, I don't know like for me i don't know yeah anyway it's yeah probably getting so i think the bible is robust enough to be able to stand on its own two feet without having to make itself into a house of cards where either it's all true or none of it's true i just think that is very let me kind of step out and be a little bit offensive. I think it's a, it's an immature way to look at it. Mm. Um, um, but I think the other element as well, when we say, what does the Bible say? I think it also avoids another thing, which is incredibly important, but also a huge roadblock for most average um, readers of the Bible. And that's the language element, um, which is so tied to the uh, cultural element as well. But... I wanted to use a, an example of the language element because, of course, the Bible wasn't written in English and uh, certainly not written in Shakespearean English, uh, as the King James would have you believe. The Bible was written in a variety of three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, uh, which was later translated into many other languages, uh, one of the first being Latin and then into English. Uh, but when you take 
the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, particularly, you're looking at Hebrew and then parts of Daniel are, are written in Aramaic. But when I was looking at Genesis a little while ago, and I got to give credit where credit's due, the Bible Project podcast, I think it was in their wisdom series that I first heard this idea. Uh, but in Genesis 2 verse 18, uh, it's a very famous passage. And uh, let me just quickly read it for you. Genesis 2 verse 18, and I'll be reading in the uh, NIV. Genesis 2 verse 18 This is in the creation account. Uh, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man, the man being Adam, to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Um, Something that we all kind of know as Christians. And then, of course, God makes Eve out of Adam's rib. Um, God kind of puts Adam into this weird sleep and then he takes a rib out of Adam. It's quite bizarre, but um, that's how woman comes to be. But this word helper is really interesting because the Hebrew word is Eza or Aza. I'm I like the pronunciation Aza. Um, I like Eza because it sounds like geezer. You're an old geezer. <laughs> let's let's have let's have a geezer into yeah. into this. <laughs> um, so this word uh, Eza. Do you want to use that? We can use that. It's, it's oh, fine. I don't mind. I'm not fast. All right. Eza is the Hebrew word for helper, and when we think of helper, well, let me let me ask you this first, Josh. When when you hear the word helper, what does your Australian Western brain associate with that word? I'm not gonna lie. The first thing that came to my that came to my head was Santa's little helper from um, Simpsons. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, I think I would think like assistant, maybe. Yeah, it's like your yeah. This is this person is your helper. Like they're mm. here to give you a hand with this. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a um, it's kind of like servant language or like assistant language or like employee language, maybe. Yeah, a little um, bit. Mm. If you are like um, a maid in the southern United States in the mid to late twentieth century, you would be called the help. Um, huh. It's a, a you know function often uh, relegated to. Uh, people of African American descent, you know, the help, you know, in the in the plantation, the uh, live-in housemaid who kind of takes care of the children and cooks the meals and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a subjugated term, like somebody who isn't important enough to be the main person, but somebody who helps the person who's important, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have that as our term for helper, and we've created a kind of a lot of the time. Um, headship theology, which emphasizes masculinity over femininity, especially when it comes to uh, the clergy and when it comes to family dynamics, leadership in the church, will emphasize this particular passage that man was created first and then woman was created as a helper. So women, you better help your man. You better be a helper, somebody who aids, who supports, but doesn't try to be more than your man. Right? Uh, Yeah. So that's where we often go and we kind of translate that as somebody who is lesser than, somebody who is just an assistant or, you know, a servant or whatever, an employee perhaps. Now, that's all very well and good. Well, it isn't, but that's that's <laughs> how we kind of that's that's how yeah, we yeah. kind of interpret it in our in our Western context. The Hebrew context is really different because actually 
the only two people in the Bible that are described as Ezers or Azers are Eve and God, which is kind of mm. weird, right? Yeah. Um, so it's actually really fascinating when you dig into a concordance. I, I'd encourage anybody, if you've got a concordance uh, lying around, look up this word, Ezer. And you can also find, find concordances online for free. Yes, I'm on the Englishman's concordance <laughs> on BibleHub.com. <laughs> the Hub. Englishman. <laughs> the Englishman's concordance. I love it. Um, according to the Englishman's concordance, there are 21 occurrences of the word Isa in the Old Testament, and uh, the only two place, the only two people that are referred to as Isas are, uh, are Eve in Genesis and God. In fact, probably the most uh, famous of the um, of the of the occurrences that refer to God is Psalm 121, verse one to two, uh, which in the NIV reads, "I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my Azer come from? My Azer oh. comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth." And so, when we think of help, it's more than just help, because when the psalmist is looking to the mountains when he lifts up his eyes he's not just looking for somebody to give him a hand he's looking for somebody to rescue him to redeem him to pull him out of a sticky situation mm. his enemies are closing in a- around him he feels helpless he feels alone he needs an azer he needs somebody who can do for him what he cannot do for himself and that's really what an azer is it's somebody who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself and the uh, new testament word that we have for this is salvation um jesus is god is our salvation he is our rock and our salvation he is our help um in troubled times and so the word helper the word aza in the old testament it's not an assistant it's not an employee it's not a slave somebody who's just there to give you a hand it's somebody who is your salvation Eve wasn't created to be Adam's assistant. Eve was created to be Adam's salvation. Wow. But then it all gets turned on its head. Like It all gets turned on it, its head. So Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so Eve had that choice. She could either be Adam's salvation or she could be Adam's doom, perhaps, or, 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 or downfall, right? Whoa. And in the garden, she made that uh, decision. It's also why in Proverbs, um, wisdom is personified as a woman. And foolishness is also personified as a woman. Wisdom is this wise woman who's calling out. And she's saying, be wise, come and follow my ways, live in my house, um, be like me and you will live. And then foolishness, um, the the... Uh, wayward woman the the dodgy woman the one who's enticing she's also calling out and she's enticing the young man so it's like she's eve she's on the one hand the potential for salvation the potential for flourishing the potential for um a wise path but she's also the potential for sating your desires in all the worst ways wow that is so interesting and you just don't get that when you read it and go, what does the Bible say? Well, here yeah. you go, Genesis 2.18, the woman is made to be a helper. Okay, you're a helper. Okay, you better help me, right? That's, <laughs> it's, it's such a, 
it's such a, it's such a cursory surface level shallow reading of the whole thing and you don't get that unless you start to delve into the language which i get a lot of people don't want to do but when you do start to get into it and you don't need to be a biblical scholar to get into it you just need to have the tools um a whole it's a whole it's a whole new world you know yeah 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 like a lot of the time it's just knowing i don't know just taking a little bit of time to read read a chapter in its fullest or something you know what i mean yeah like and it can bring that extra light um you know like even you think about i mean how many people just pull pull out things like what jesus said like i mean we've talked about on the podcast before they'll they'll take like when jesus is like blessed are the meek you know it's like Mm. be more meek which is like Mm. sit down and be quiet whereas like Mm. you and i've talked before that it's actually uh, there's a whole different meaning to that in that it's more it's more than just meekness it's actually the whole knowing knowing how how does jordan peterson say is um, like knowing knowing bless, how to, how to use a sword and when to yeah. use it or something blessed are those who could take up arms but choose not to yeah um you know that sort of thing like it's there's just things you can read when you go beneath the surface but then there's also things you can read when you just read the whole chapter you know like yeah. when people say yeah. um wives submit to your husbands but if you read the whole chapter it's the before that it says wives i mean husbands love your um, yeah. love your bride like Christ, Christ loved the church, the church. Yeah. and submit to one another. It's, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it, if you just, if people just read it, like, it's such a helpful we, library of books and people just use it so poorly and it, oh, it infuriates me. <laughs> and that's, that's the problem because the Bible was never written to be divided into chapters and verses. We've done that to, um, make it more convenient for people to be able to find references easily. But what I think in part that has created is this problem where we we see these um, verses and chapters in isolation and we don't take the full context into account. And, and let's be honest, we are so far from the culture that produced these works of literature. And so... Whilst people might go, well, boo, I don't want to. I don't want to have to study Greek or Hebrew. Or I don't want to have to read a commentary to understand what the Bible says. Why can't I just read it and understand what it says plainly? Well, sadly, we live so far away from the culture that produced this literature that you have to do some work to be able to actually fully understand what it's saying. That's that's just a reality. I yeah. mean, this is. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the examples of. I mean. Like I just sort of was thinking about this recently, but this is one of the examples of listening to a pastor um, preach a sermon about a Bible verse rather than reading it for yourself because a pastor is paid to put the work in and dig down yep. and do it and they won't give it to you. Like when we read the Bible for ourselves, we read it a bit subjectively. You know what I mean? Mm. Like we, we just look for what we want and we don't dig down on things we disagree with or mm. we don't dig down on things we agree with or I don't know. But like when you're preaching on something, you're looking at it from all the angles. You, if you're a good pre, I don't know if you're a good preacher anyway. But you should be looking yeah. at it from all the angles. You shouldn't be just taking a surface level. Um, and that's why I think it's actually a big advantage that we have access these days to so many great preachers and podcasts like this as well, where people. I mean, it's annoying that you can't just do it yourself all the time. And mm. if you're willing to put the time in, you can. But if you're not, I guess there's there's a side avenue that that's why a good exegetical preacher is good to yeah. have at hand. Yeah. I don't know. 
It's, it is hard because on the one hand, I would love to be able to tell you, the listener, you know, just read the Bible and do what it says and it's easy and it's, it's, it's plain and it's clear. But so often it's not. And there are layers of meaning that have to go, that, 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 that are just, you know, beneath the surface, uh, the surface level reading of, of a passage. I would say that it's really, really important to surround yourself with a community of people that read the Bible in different ways as well. You know, that's why I listen to podcasts and that's why I read books and that's why I listen to other people's sermons. Not because I agree with them all, but because there are stuff that I disagree on and because there's stuff that helps me to see the Bible in a different way. And yes, part of that is a professional. There's a professional component to that because I am trying to get better as a pastor and that's totally a part of it. And for those of you who aren't pastors, that you shouldn't have to feel that. Like you have to become a Bible scholar just because. But I think it is, as Jesus followers, our responsibility for those of us who have an education and that who can read and write and those of us who have the time and those of us who have the, the resources to be able to fully grapple with this book and and, and what it actually is telling us that it's important to move past that surface level reading, even if it's step by step. Mm. Um, and it is overwhelming sometimes, but really the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. It's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> and illegal in a lot of countries, I'm sure. You know, something I was thinking about as well is like, man, you think about the early church and how <laughs> like back then you didn't have your own copy of the Bible to read for yourself. And we think, oh, that's so sad. But actually, like, A, they didn't have to understand context because they were living in the context. Yeah. And B, they would all stand together. Somebody would read for them the letter that Paul wrote because they couldn't read it for themselves. And then they'd just go about their week and they'd just be praying. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that a simple so way, easy. hey. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah, I mean, now I guess it's awesome that we can all read the Bible. It's in our pockets all the time because we've got phones it's everywhere. But at the same time, here we are 2,000 years removed from the New Testament, at least, and trying to understand what half of the stuff <laughs> really means is near impossible. Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. Nice. Thanks. Thanks, Uncle Ben. <laughs> yeah. So... What do you guys think? Is saying, just look at what the Bible says. Is that enough for you? I know that Josh and I, at least I, tend to overcomplicate things in my head, and <laughs> I, I, I like to I like to dig into this stuff, and I think it's really fascinating, and I think it's really fun. Um, I know not everybody's like that, and that's cool. I, I'd love to hear everybody else's uh, takes on this. It, it's just one of those things where I think. Um, this isn't disrespecting the Bible or it's not like abandoning, but I think it's giving more respect to what the Bible actually is, that it's a library. Uh, I really love that. I really love that terminology. I think I'm going to start using that. It, the, it's a library of documents written by different authors at different periods of time in different contexts and different cultures. I'm probably not going to say all of that <laughs> when I reference the Bible, but maybe I'll say it's a library. I like that. I mean, that, as soon as you begin to add any sort of context to it, I personally think it becomes um, like massively more helpful. And that's, that's why for me, like if, if I had somebody who I don't know if they hold the Bible in authority at all in their lives, 
even if I'm already framing things with context, it's even more helpful for them already because rather than getting here's what some random document says, it's here's what this person had to say at this time to these people. I don't know, like we just have to we just have to recognize that those around us like obviously not everybody sees the world the same way as us and therefore not everybody sees the Bible the same way as us. And so mm. even if you like you could say, what does the Bible say on this? And then you'll blurt out a random verse and they'll be like, no, that verse means this to me. If, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Like mm. the age old, um, you should be reverent in church or whatever because of whatever the Bible <laughs> verse is. I, sorry, I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Joel then, or something like t- that. Is it? No, I thought it was in, I thought it was in like uh, an epistle. Um, oh, are you talking Worship about Worship should be orderly and reverent. Oh yeah, first Corinthians so. ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like reverence to me probably looks really different to reverence to a seventy-year-old in my church. Like they, not I'm not saying specifically in my church, but but yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. the idea of reverence alone. Like if somebody if somebody says, "Oh, should we have clapping in church?" and then somebody says, "Well, what does the Bible say?" The mm. Bible says we need to be reverent in church. Like, mm. well, no, no, no. That's your that is definitely your interpretation of what reverent is. Yeah, yeah. And and reverence means uh, different to uh, a white straight male living in New Zealand than to a a Japanese person or somebody from a Pacific Island descent or whatever, you know, it's, it's all very much relative and it's based on culture. And then, and then we haven't even touched on, well, what does reverence mean to a first century Jew living in Palestine? Or what does reverence mean to a, a Greek living in Ephesus in, you know, AD 73 or whatever it might be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you begin to look at, well, why did Paul say that to that specific group of people? Yeah. What are some of the things he could have meant by it? What are the, some of the challenges they were dealing with? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just, ah, uh, yeah, there's just so much yeah. depth there and so much we can enjoy. And yet we sit there and, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we, I think people uh, get the point. I, I, feel like yeah. we'd, I feel like we're just going to start repeating ourselves. So, yeah, as I said, what do you guys think um, when somebody says, let's see what the Bible has to say or what does the Bible say? How do you react? Have you encountered that before? Do you say that? Is it something that you've never thought about? Is it something that you're dead against? Uh, we'd love to hear. Uh, if you would love to interact with us, you can always uh, send us an email or even better, uh, engage with us in our Facebook group. Um, we'd love for you to join our Facebook group if you haven't already. It is where all the cool people hang out and uh, you can too. And we'd love for you to be able to interact with us in that in that capacity um so yeah that's that's cool we love you guys uh where else can people find us josh you know what you can find all things burn the haystack at burnthehaystack.org it's beautiful so go there and do things press press buttons press links follow them (laughs) enjoy explore awesome and have you subscribed yet if you haven't subscribed what are you waiting for you ninny winny We'll cut uh, you a deal. <laughs> if you subscribe, it's free. And that's a great price. <laughs> uh, and if you have already subscribed and you want to help us out a little bit more, um, we would love it if you would leave us a rating or a review on your podcatching app of choice. That would be super cool. And we think you're super cool if you do that. That is Josh and Jesse out.